welcome to the Grapeseed Official Podcast. On this episode of Mason Connection, we welcome Brandon Bayron, Candace's husband, from the last Mason Connection. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Thanks. How long have you been at Mason and what is your current role? I am finishing my fourth year as a Friends Club teacher at Takamori Mason. Uh, next year, I'm going to be moving to the EX program in Friends Club. Okay, so just for context for people, Friends Club, quite a bit of different situation than your wife. Your wife's teaching premier school, so the immersion program, whereas Friends Club is the after-school program for elementary kids to kind of come back to Mason, take those upper unit grapeseed courses, and just continue with the program even after they've left the kindergarten, right? Yeah. Can you give us a little bit of context on what EX class is? So in, in regular Friends Club, they'll spend time memorizing the pieces and really getting used to just kind of putting the English in their mouth. And then once they have gotten to, the, to a, a sufficient level of fluency with the grapeseed pieces, the teachers can start doing more activities where they'll get to use it to express their own ideas. In EX, we meet at a, at a class time kind of staggered with regular Friends Club, and we're one unit behind. So when I have my EX students, they come to me and I start a unit with them. This is the unit that they've just finished in regular Friends Club. So okay. my starting point assumes that they have achieved a higher level of fluency and that we're already ready to start going into usage. So the kids that are in the EX program get a lot more usage and a lot more expression time and just a lot more practice using the English to talk about uh, their ideas and their experiences and their thoughts and things like that. So it's uh, it's a good continuing development of the foundation that's laid in the regular Friends Club classes. That's excellent. I love that idea of having a set aside time for kids to basically practice the language that they've used. So this is outside of normal grapeseed time, outside of your, your normal class schedule, but the kids get extra just practice, like you said. So grapeseed materials, your favorite one, what do you got? So my favorite material is going on a bear hunt from Unit 21. Ooh. Yeah. When I was in America, I was a camp counselor and camp director for a little while. And oh, this, okay. this was something that we did with our kids in the States all the time. And it was a lot of fun. And so every time that I've done it here with a class, the class is kind of on their own, come up with a unique way of doing it with like stomping or clapping or sound effects or just something. And it usually happens after they're comfortable with kind of saying the pieces and they get the concept. I've got my one kid in the class who's the class clown who will do something kind of goofy and the rest of the kids will see me kind of snicker at it. And they're like, oh, okay, we can do this. And then <laughs> it just kind of evolves into this whole thing. Um, it was really funny to watch uh, a trainee come into my classroom and teach my fourth grade last year and do this piece with them in the corner because they had no idea what my fourth grade was about to do. And it was like this whole production that they all did in unison. It was really funny. I was just, I was just laughing. Um, so it's really fun to do, but there's a lot of language in it. It has to do with choices that syncs up really well with language that they just finished in the prior units. Um, cause 17 through 20 is a lot of could, should, would talking about yep. choices and possibilities and things. And so, when you get to going on a bear hunt, it, it provides a context for using some of those things and then provides a springboard for you or for me to make more activities to give them more choices. And so I've done 
games and like interactive PowerPoints where they've got to make decisions and they've got to talk about what decisions are possible or evaluate what decisions they want to do. Um, or in the case that they have made an incorrect decision, they've got to talk about something that they must do, which is also in the piece. So it's really easy to pull all that language out and use it for some really fun stuff. Definitely. I can see how your camp counselor experience in the past really influences your decision here because this definitely is one of those kind of campfire rhythmic calls and responses. I'm, I encourage people if they haven't listened to this to go check out on the portal unit 21's uh, going on a bear hunt and listen for yourself there. How yeah. about a favorite but, unit? Uh, my favorite unit is actually unit 18. Okay. I really like unit 18 because uh, one of the things that I do in in the units that I can is I try to cross the different grapeseed pieces with each other and right. use one piece to talk about another piece. And unit 18 is just really, really well suited to do that with all of the different pieces that it's got in it. Um, when the kids are really good at singing the songs and they can do the chants and we're really ready to start using the English to talk about stuff, um, I can use the different pieces to tell one kind of continued narrative that the kids are going to be able to interact with and talk about. Um, Cause I know there's a, there's a poem that's called the bakery mm -hmm. and in Marvin goes to the city. There's a lot of different professions and one of them is a bakery. And uh, that particular thing shows up again in one of the, in one of the big books. And then you've got the special song that talks about special. So we talked about uh, different professions and talked about shopping and what different shops have to have to offer and talked about some of that could should would that's in that's in that unit and the unit prior um and then we get into the special song and start talking about well what about some special items like if we go into the bakery and we see just like the regular donuts what kind of special donuts would you like to see or do you see in this context and so it really puts together in a really cohesive way and makes it really easy to get the feeling that I'm really just teaching one lesson with a lot of different parts, because I feel like that there's this possibility if you just sit down to make, you know, what am I going to do today in the classroom? And you go into the classroom, it, it kind of feels like every piece is a mini lesson. Like, okay, I'm going to pull this English out of this piece. We're going to sing the song. We're going to use this English. And then when we're done, we're done. And we're doing another piece. And so it can kind of be feel choppy, but with this unit in particular, it's very easy to make it feel like this is like the one lesson that we're talking about. And it has a lot of depth and it has a lot of language, but it's really just one cohesive piece. That's the spiral curriculum at work, right? So all the students all the way back from unit one, we've been slowly building up this foundation for them with a lot of language, a lot of expressions and themes. And then you get to a unit like unit 18, for example, and students had all those professions way back in unit eight, but then all the language mm -hmm. expressions we've been building, like you're mentioning over the units, they really lead themselves to what you're talking about, where you can, you're not teaching individual pieces, but they all come together in this really nicely woven tapestry. And the further you go up the units, the better that gets. Yeah, some of my um, some of my biggest successes with getting the kids to start talking, even the quiet kids, to really not just start talking, but raising their hand and wanting to talk and wanting to say something about their ideas. Um, that is the unit that I think pulls out the most of that type of interaction because the kids feel 
more equipped at that point to participate in the conversation. And they're also really interested in the things that we're talking about. And so they've got opinions. Yep. And they have the confidence too, from all that exposure to English that they've had for the last number of years with the program. Yep. Yep. Moving on here, let's go to decorations. So what do you currently have on your bulletin board? So currently on my wall, I've got, uh, it looks like a giant Nintendo switch and I have made a little, like a, like a background for super smash brothers. Cause that's something that a lot of my kids are really into. And I put some of the like normal super smash brothers characters on there. Um, I also included myself in my jamboree costume from last year. I have a samurai (laughs) costume and, uh, I also included included marvin marvin monkey okay. he's on there um and so the the kids see it and they're like oh that's cool it's smash brothers and then they look like oh mr brandon you're on there and they're like oh it's marvin marvin's on there um and so it's just kind of funny and i'll make small changes to the board throughout the year and then not tell any of the kids and just see how long it takes them to notice and who notices and they've always got this aha moment where they're like hey look this is different this has changed and it's kind of funny who's the who's the favorite character of your class I mean, I'm not sure for the real game who their favorite character is, because when I ask them, they all just say Marvin and laugh. <laughs> yeah, they, they think it's just funny. The idea of uh, Marvin in this, in this game is really funny to them, so they all like really enjoy. It's too bad. Poor Mr. Brandon lost out to <laughs> Marvin Monkey. <laughs> what, what has your favorite board been from just the history of you teaching at Mason? My favorite board was last year's board. Okay. Uh, last year's board was about ninjas. It was these cute little, little ninja guys. And, uh, and I had made this background kind of a tatami mat dojo looking background and the little ninjas were going and doing little ninja things. And I had verbs next to what they were doing. And I tried to make as many of them, the irregular verbs that show up in the, I went to see my series. Wow. And so we'd have the, the present and past tense of the verb with the ninjas doing whatever it is that they're doing. Um, and the ninjas were super cute and they were super easy to make. So there were a lot of them. And as the seasons changed, the ninjas would wear different accessories to celebrate <laughs> the seasons. Like around Jamboree, they all had different hats on, which is they're all ninjas. So they're already kind of dressed for Jamboree, but they all had different hats on for different types of costumes. When it was springtime, they all had little Sakura blossoms somewhere okay. on them. They had little Santa hats at Christmas time. Um, the other kind of cool thing that I did with that one is I had made these scrolls and watercolored on a picture of the class. Uh, name and the class kind of theme because all of the different classes for Mason have a name. Mm-hmm. The astronauts and bluebirds and cowboys and butterflies. Those were my classes last year. And so I drew a picture of those things and then also wrote the class name under, underneath in some watercolor. And it turned out really cool. I actually kept them up in my, I have them up in my cabinet this year because my class names didn't change. Mm. I love that ninja idea. That's something that we've really talked about here on the podcast is not just having decorations for the sake of having decorations, but having carefully thought out decorations that you can then use while you're teaching. And like you talked about with those irregular verbs that come up in the I went to series from unit 11 onwards, just showing another way of helping your students understand that language is so critical. And it's great to do that in a decoration like you're talking about. 
Yep. I, I did actually end up using it during lessons a couple of times. Um, mm. the, the kids had a hard time with break and broke. Mm. just getting getting the word right, kind of getting their head around when to use which one. And so when I was going over it, I was actually like, oh, you know, let's let's look over here at this little ninja guy because there was one set of boards that he had done like a karate chop and broken and there were some that were unbroken and he was standing over them. And I was like, this is break and broke. And the kids are like, ah. <laughs> it's a perfect aha or light bulb moment. So speaking of which, yeah. professional segue, uh, can you share another aha or light bulb story or two where students were able to apply the language they're learning in the materials? Um, yeah. One of my one of my favorite aha moment memories and just one of my favorite teaching moment, moments in general. My first year, first grade, I was teaching unit eight and we were doing uh, oops. And it was it was early on in my very first year. And so I was still kind of wrapping my head around uh, Mason and teaching English as a second language. And so I was not, I didn't have all the tricks in my bag that I have now. So trying to figure stuff out mm-hmm. and oops was particularly tough for me to teach the kids because by nature you say, oops, when it's an accident, but I'm trying to teach them how to use it. That requires like a controlled situation. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, how do I manufacture an accident and, and get it across to the kids that this is, this wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. Uh, it was just, it was hard to produce that. So um, I had the piece out and at the beginning of class, it was somebody's birthday. And I always, on their birthday, I always let them pick out some accessories and dress up for the class. And in first grade, they just eat that up. They love it. So this girl it was her birthday and she picked these big sparkly heart glasses that were a favorite to that point. And she put them on and they fell off her face, hit the ground, and then they broke. Oh, and all the kids just kind of sat stunned for a minute because they're like, oh no, she she broke his glasses. What's Mr. Brandon gonna do? And she looks up at me like she didn't mean to, she felt bad about it. And she just looks at me like, oh no, I, I'm sorry I broke this. So I look, they all were just waiting for my reaction. And I just real slowly smile. I go, oops, 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 oops. And I start to go for the piece. And all of the kids just started laughing. And <laughs> They were so into it. They all repeated after me the, the little oops thing. And we just did the, we did the piece right there and we talked about it and, uh, and they, and they got it. They all understood oops. And every time I dropped anything, they would sing the song. And after a little while, they would start changing the song to include whatever it is that I dropped and whatever it is that they did as a response to what I dropped. Um, they came up with some really interesting ones. It was really funny, but it was definitely a case where they they did get it all of a sudden they're like oh okay that's what that means and they were immediately comfortable with the the piece and changing the piece and really playing with that and just having a good time with it those teachable moments you never know when they're going to come and they usually the most impactful ones come when you're least expecting it so that story that you told that just there that's so impactful for the class because they were so worried that you were going to yell at them right but instead of yelling at them you, you were like oh i could totally use this and tie in this language Let's move on to preparing to teach your lessons. So how do you prepare? When I have the kind of time that I like to have to prepare, then what I'll do at the beginning of the unit is I just take a big, like a broad look at the whole unit. What language functions are in here? What's on review? What's new? 
what's taught, what language functions show up in more than one piece, what topics come up in more than one piece. And what I'm, what I'm basically trying to do is piece together what type of conversation or context would naturally include the kinds of language functions that we're practicing and learning in this unit. Mm. Because what that's going to do is give me a, a good direction to build their skills. Um, early on, you have to do more or less scripted interactions with the kids. You have to ask them yes or no questions or multiple choice questions, fill in the blanks, that kind of thing, where really you're doing a lot of the English work. You're doing a lot of the lifting and they're focusing just on what's new. And if you take that and you just open it up all of a sudden when you think they've got it to just completely like, all right, well, why don't you just tell me what you think now? That is a little bit too much for a lot of them. And so when I am coming up with this kind of a theme or a context that I want to use for the unit, I'll build their comprehension of this context alongside their uh, regular repetition and answering the questions and things things like that, just to get them more familiar with this. And I'll, I'll just use that context for the comprehension questions later on. And so that when we're, when we're really ready for them to give me their ideas and their opinions and things, I can just step into an environment that they're already kind of familiar with the English that they're going to need to use. So as an example, in unit 18, I really lean on this context of a bakery a lot as an, as an intermediary thing, because they understand the bakery and it shows up in a lot of the different pieces and a lot of language that they need to talk about the bakery shows up in the pieces too. So when I ask them comprehension questions about the piece, I'll include some more about the bakery particularly. And then when we get to a place where they're ready to use their English just to express their own ideas, they're already familiar with kind of where I'm going and what I really want them to do, but they also know like their own preferences within that context. So it's really easy for them to say, oh, I would do this or I would, and give, you know, as and some pretty detailed answers to what they're trying to do. And so just put, having that context in my mind at the beginning, make sure that I have a good launch pad to transition them to the open-ended stuff where they don't just fall over. And then eventually we move past that too. We move past that context to broader things. Mm-hmm. But by the time we do that, they're really, they're really, pushing to go past that point and I don't have to try to pull them along. That's such an excellent idea. Going back to where you started there, looking at your unit that's coming up and looking at the broad goals and expressions, language functions, things like that. The good thing about the current version of the teacher manual is that they have a place to start with that. So you have the look ahead, you have the look back. So you can access your teacher manual to get started thinking in that vein. But then, of course, you want to take it the next step further, like Brandon here, where he's not just looking at that page, looking at the functions, but actually thinking and kind of simulating in his mind how that's going to go in class and what he can do to get his students successful using those language functions and not just understanding that, okay, these language functions appear. Yeah, it's it, there's always a really marked difference in how well they can grasp and use the English when I have a time to really sit down and map a unit out ahead of time, mm. especially in the upper grades, because in the upper grades, the language is a lot more open-ended mm-hmm. in the types of things that they can express. 
And so if you throw them something really open-ended, it's really difficult for your, your kind of middle ability kids to land on something correct and then understand why it was correct. So having a way to kind of bring them there and a plan uh, for how to bring it all together is, is really helpful in getting them to participate meaningfully in class. Perfect. What keeps you motivated at Mason? As a teacher, I would have to say that the biggest motivation that I find is in interacting with the students. Mm. Um, I, I'm a big I'm a big believer in creating environments where the students can be successful because if the environment is well suited for that, that makes it a lot easier for me to just roll with stuff as it comes. And so, and and my students have really gotten used to that. They've gotten used to the idea that if they want to do something that's like their own idea in class, but it's related to what we're doing, that's fine. I had a whole section of time in the corner once where I had a particular fourth grade that they loved to just troll me and mess with me. And as long as they did it in English with the language functions that we were practicing, I would roll with it. And we were practicing uh, prepositions and instructions. And one of the students was like trying to get me to go out the window. <laughs> And they, they, they worded it wrong. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll just do what they said and not what they wanted. And as this kind of like mildly malicious compliance to my kids' instructions, <laughs> trying to get me out the window. And I could see them like working and talking together and like trying to figure out, okay, he really will do it if we can get the English right. So we need to get this right. And then they finally ended up uh, doing it correctly and getting me to go out the window. And then while they were deliberating, I had unlocked a different window. So I just came in the other side of the classroom. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I really like to do that. If I can create that environment where they feel comfortable being imaginative and they mm -hmm. feel free to interact with me with, within uh, uh, constraints where it's applicable to what we're doing, they come up with so many awesome, really fun, like crazy ideas. And I have a lot of fun just kind of seeing what they'll do. I like getting to that point where they can be a little bit wacky and just going to class with my plan and seeing how they're going to derail me today. That takes a lot of humility as a teacher because you're not trying to project this aura of, okay, I'm in control. I'm the cool guy. You are in control and you are the fun teacher, but you're also, everything you're doing is geared toward the betterment of your students and helping them understand and just get more comfortable with the language. So I think a lot of teachers get into the rut of, okay, I need to project this image of what they might've assumed their teachers were in the past. So something that like I had this strict teacher in the past and they had control of us when we were younger. So I'm gonna be like that too. Whereas your particular approach is probably the best of, in the end, I want my kids to use the language and I want my kids to learn. So what can I do? What form do I need to take to get my kids there? And I think that's great. Yeah, it's, it's been really, really helpful. And a lot of the a lot of my best English moments with the kids have been stuff like that. And it makes sense because the kids are going to try and talk about and do the things that are interesting to them. So if I can change my lesson, going to make it more interesting to them. Their learning value is just going to, it's going to skyrocket. Exactly. Because part of that whole, it's buy-in with the kids. If they're motivated, if they're interested in what's going on, then they'll be much more willing to participate and interact. 
Yeah. And just the idea for them making the connection that their words have meaning and that things when they when they say something in English and they do it right, it will cause like it'll affect change that that it has a purpose and a meaning to doing it. It just it's really motivates them to do a good job. Um, most recently with my current fifth grade class, uh, with the unit that we're on, we have this piece, tell me the way it's about giving instructions. And so I had a little map of Mason and I told them, all right, I want you to tell me how to get from where we are to this place at Mason. And they gave me directions. Some of them tried harder than others. And then I surprised them by making this a video basically of me following their directions and got to see where we ended up. And some of them were way off and a couple of them actually got me there. And when they saw that and they were like, wow, like that was cool. We, he actually did the directions and some of when they, they realized where they made mistakes and where they, and where they would have done it differently, or they got to see their success and they were super excited about it. And so I did another one. I said, okay, we're going to do one more and I'll make another video, but you're going to try to get me here. And it was much harder. And they were so, so into doing the directions. They got their, their books out and they opened up to tell me the way. And they were looking at all the different phrases that were used and they were comparing like, well, they use this phrase at this part of the map. And so on this map of Mason, this is the thing that we should use. And they were all working so well collaboratively together to try and get me to go where they were trying to get me to go. Love that story. How inspirational. I think you had mentioned Jamboree earlier when you were talking about the decorations in your classroom, but what is your favorite school holiday or activity throughout the year at Mason? That one is, it's a really tough question. We don't do every activity with every grade because we want every grade to have a new experience from what they've done before. So there's so many different things that we do that are geared towards different, uh, different grades in different ages. Mm -hmm. If I had to pick my one favorite, like King of the Hill, my favorite overall, I would have to say that that's the Kansai trip that we take with our fifth graders in the summer. It's a three night, four day trip where we take a ferry from the Sendai port down to Nagoya. And then we take buses into Osaka and Kyoto. And while we're there, we see a lot of different uh, like tourist sites and things and we do a little bit of shopping and we also go to usj with the kids and so oh wow yeah it's a lot of fun i i think the reason why this is my favorite is because we get to do the really active fun crazy stuff with them where we're we're doing something exciting and we're seeing something interesting uh and a lot of the mason events it's really condensed and so you'll you'll pick the kids up on the bus you'll go do something like that and then and then you're done and it is a good time, but there's really not as much opportunity to just like converse or low-key interact with your kids where you and your your class are the thing that you're doing. But on the Kansai trip, there is time in between where we all sit on the bus or on the boat or at dinner and we just talk about the things that we did that day. Mm. And the thing that's going on is not something that we're all doing together. The thing that's going on is that we are spending time together. And so it has mm. a good mix of both of those things and because they're mixed together, the kids have a lot to say and they, they have a lot that they're excited to talk about. Um, and then I, I think one of the other factors about why I like the, the Kansai trip is the food is really good. <laughs> 
I think inside of Japan, just from my own experience traveling kind of around the country, visiting schools, I think my favorite area for Japanese food is probably Nagoya. Like the the food is just uh, has just this extra punch to it that's so good. So I I agree with you. Yeah. And who doesn't love Universal Studios, honestly? Right. <laughs> Especially for a bunch of little kids. I'm sure that it's just a blast for them to just get so excited going to a place like that and for you to see that as a teacher. Yeah, we, we had a great time when we went. Perfect. Moving on here, tell us about a student in your teaching experience who was a bit challenging and what did you do to help them be successful? Um, there are a couple of students that pop to mind that are quite a bit different from each other. One, the, the first kid I'll talk about is a kid that is, he was challenging and he was kind of placed with me for a lot of different reasons. And so I knew ahead of time that this was going to be a little bit of a challenge in the classroom. Um, he has Down's syndrome and his ability to understand English or Japanese is really low. He's a loving wonderful kid. I love this kid so much. We actually have the same name. So it was kind of fun uh, <laughs> to have that connection with him. But um, I knew that he, he was going to need more help to just be able to get, get along in class, mm -hmm. particularly because he wasn't going to understand a lot of the English. Um, and one of the things that I did to help him right at the beginning was I spent a lot of time with the whole class, just making sure that the classroom management and the expectations were just at the highest level that I could produce. Mm. Um, I wanted to make absolutely certain that for all of the kids in the class, they completely understood my expectations of them and they completely felt confident in their expectations of me as a teacher so that it could just run super duper smoothly. Um, and so what I can tell you is that while I did that work ahead of time, that just benefited the whole class, not just this one boy, like everybody got something good out of it. And even though I think that having him in the class was a little bit challenging for that reason. He as a student was not any more difficult on a given day than any other student because he, mm. he, he understood what he was supposed to be doing and he did it. And I think that one of the coolest things to see in his case was that although the mom was not super expecting him to have a lot of meaningful language development, mm -hmm he really did try hard to do the English. And at the end of the year, he was really beginning to show a lot more progress with it than even I thought he was going to. Mm. Like the first time he raised his hand in class to answer a question, it was funny. He answered the question in, in Japanese and I understand a little bit of Japanese. I understood enough to know that he correctly understood my question. Mm. and correctly answered it. So even though he answered in Japanese, I was like, but he uh, he's getting it though. He is getting it. And then in a couple later activities, when I told the kids to find a partner for some English activity, he just bolted straight up to me and like said the, the part that was the kid's part to say. And he got it right. And I was just so excited. I told the mom and she was also just so excited. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's a situation where it could have been really difficult. And some of the teachers that he's had before have had difficulty with him. 
um, it could have been difficult, but because of where the classroom management was and where the expectations were with the class, um, it really, he was not really that difficult day to day. Perfect. I love that your first move there was to really lock in good classroom management, just fundamentals. So when you have kids with maybe developmental disabilities like that, they still are a member of your class and they still should feel safe and not just physically safe, but just emotionally safe in your class as well. And one of the ways you can achieve that for all your students is just having really clear rules and expectations and making sure that everybody's following them and keeping that classroom as emotionally safe as possible. So when you have mistakes like that, where your student comes that you're that's struggling and says something in Japanese when they're supposed to be speaking in English, the students don't start making fun of them because of it. And everything's just really, really just taken care of from the start because of what the teacher's done. So I love that idea. Great job. Thanks. Let's end here on advice. So what advice do you have for other grapeseed teachers? Hmm. (laughs) The tough one. Save the hardest one for last. Can I give two? Sure. Okay. I have have two. One is for grapeseed particularly. And then another one is for uh, just creating a good environment. Like I talked about with my, with some of the other crazy things that I would do. So some advice that I would give to teachers using grapeseed is to spend some time when you're, when you're going into a new unit, trying to build that context and know, know where you're going to go with the English, like teaching them English just so that they know English does not do them a whole lot of good. They, it will, at best, give them a good comprehension of what's going on around them. But just teaching them so that they hear it is not going to help them to be very expressive. So the, I, I, the thing that I would say is really spend time thinking about what you want them to express, how you want them to express it, and how you can use that to support what you're going to do. I would even go back because grapeseed works on this on a spiral and builds on itself and things that it's done in prior units mm-hmm. i would absolutely reach back a unit two units three units and find pieces that are relevant for what you're doing and bring it back because every time you take a grapeseed piece and you introduce it or even any piece of english and you introduce it in a new context it expands their comprehension their understanding of the english in that piece mm. so like we were talking about earlier with unit 18 uh, talking about a lot of professions, but in unit eight, there also are a lot of professions. If I'm introducing unit 18, I might take some vocab cards or a story from unit eight and put it out on the board because they know it and they've heard it, but their English is better now than it was then. And they're going to get some things out of it now. They might not have gotten then that are going to help me to bridge the gap into teaching them new units, new new pieces that they don't know. So taking a broad look at what you want to do and viewing all of Grapeseed as your tool to, to achieve that, you have a much higher chance of success and you got a lot more tools at your disposal than you think you do. Mm, absolutely. Looking through those lesson plans like we recommend here on the podcast is really really highly recommended where you you don't just pick up your daily lesson plan, you look ahead. So when you're going to start unit two, for example, don't just look at unit two, lesson one's lesson plan and just try to memorize it and then forget about it. 
look ahead before you start teaching, see where you're going and then start thinking of, okay, what, when the lesson plan tells me to ask this question in lesson one, how is that going to bridge me into this other question that's asking me in you in lesson 10 in lesson 20 and start building that roadmap in your mind for how you're going to guide your students to be able to achieve the goals not just in the quick checks and the teacher manual but in the the questions and the expectations we have for them in the later lessons in the unit yeah because the lesson plans are definitely building something and if you if you just read read off what you're doing today and you do just what you're doing today, then you might miss an opportunity to build a little more um, or to to really take some of those teachable moments that'll be good for later on. So you know the lesson plans are building something, see what they're building and see what you can use them to build. Uh, and that'll just enhance the quality of the class so so much. Perfect. What was the second piece? Um, the second piece is, about uh, kind of about classroom management, but it's something that I have used a lot in all of my classes that has been a really good tool to help the kids want to be expressive. And that is to, um, when, you, when you're gonna ask a kid for interactions, or you're gonna ask a kid to give you a response, do your best to think through the possibilities and not try to script them because they come up with some wacky stuff that they want to do. And a lot of times their ideas are really good. Mm. There, there've been a couple of times they did an activity that um, they interpreted my instructions in a way that I did not intend them to do. But what they did was actually in line with what I asked them to do. And what they did was more interesting than what I asked them to do. And so I looked at what they were doing and I was like, oh yeah, that's great. I'm going to do that on purpose next time. But by, by not scripting your kids and giving them the tools to just say what they're going to say and do what they're going to do, they begin to realize that there's not really a right or wrong answer to what they're going to express. There's just answers. And they get excited about the possibility of expressing themselves. And they want to interact with you more because they want you to know what they mm. think. They want what they uh and how they want to impact the situation and they'll even begin to feel more free to make other comments and things to you in english um as the kids have gained a comfort level with their uh interacting with their environment and the idea that they can give an answer or a question or something that maybe that's not not exactly what i'm asking for what i'm trying to do but it is in line with the, the english doing they'll interject stuff and there have been times where um i ended up actually tabling what i had planned to do because the kids are all trying to do something different mm. and in in that moment being flexible because they they weren't scripted and they just went a different direction letting them do that they learn so much more that way so um, you know, try hard, try hard to give your kids opportunities to just be them and do what they're going to do and try not to script them too much um, because they'll, they'll surprise you with how well they're able to teach themselves. That ties in really well with your window example, right? Where the kids were really trying to get you to go through the window and them understanding that if they were able to get the English right, you were going to do it, even though probably at the beginning of the day, you weren't expecting that you were going to be crawling through a window, right? No, I was not expecting to be <laughs> to be crawling through a window. But it can be really difficult for 
teachers to build that culture. So just chiming in here on Brandon's point, I think one of the earliest places you can start building this culture in your classroom of getting kids to be more creative is even back in unit two, for example, you have the little my hands action activity that open them, shut them, open them, shut them, give a little clap. And if you if you're doing that in class and then occasionally you mix up the words. So open them, shut them, give a big clap or give a big stomp or just giving them a few other examples of language that they've learned, but that fits into the material. Then when you hand it over to them to come up with their own lines, they might not follow the script exactly and they might deviate it from it and bring in some other verbs and adjectives that they've been learning in just those first couple units. And even just with that small action activity, you start building the culture in your classroom for encouraging your students to go off script and use all the language they have as opposed to the language that's just in the particular piece in the particular unit that they're in. So I love that advice. That's a great way to end this podcast, Brandon. Nice job. Thanks. So thank you so much for joining us. This is a great conversation to have. As always, everyone, thank you for listening and good luck in the classroom. Goodbye, my friends. Goodbye. I'm sad to say goodbye. It was a good day, but now I will say Goodbye, my friends. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.